Coming into this bye week, Washington as a crossroads. We have some of our players that are looking that maybe possibly leaving early, namely Jacob Eason. Later in the show, we're going to talk to Yogi Roth about some of these issues that he's seeing with Eason and his progression and whether or not he thinks in his opinion he should stay and some of the amazing things that Yogi Roth has seen with Coach Peterson as a coach and in the Pac-12 as a whole. My name's Trevor. And I'm Jake. We're part of Sports Illustrated Washington, and you're listening to Fourth and Inches of Husky Podcast. And we're like Ocean and Ryan. Uh, Ocean and Ryan. Is Ryan a boy's or girl's name? It's a last name for a man. Oh. Ocean is also a last name. Oh, my. And it also has happens to be part of the title. Ocean's 11? Yes. Okay. <laughs> is, it, is it Frank Ocean? It's Dan Ocean. Oh, you're right, it is. Frank Ocean, I think, is a singer? (laughs) Now we're just making stuff up? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. We got Ocean's uh, 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, Ocean's 8, but none of them are presenting this week's episode. (laughs) Did you like that? (laughs) Because today's episode is presented by VintageBrand.com. Jake, VintageBrand.com is a sports and gift apparel celebrating the rich history of American sporting culture. Their collection includes 10,000 digitally restored authentic vintage works of art reproduced on apparel, wall art, koozies, drinkware, and more. All November long, they're giving away daily $100 promotion codes for new email subscribers. Relive your favorite vintage UW logos. Jake, what's your favorite one? It's got to be that, that Michigan Huskies Rose Bowl, man. Your favorite Husky Stadium moments? Jake, what's your favorite one? Oh, that's a good question. When we beat Miami. That's a great one. And Rose Bowls. Jake, what's your favorite Rose Bowl? That's an easy one. Is it? It's got to be 91. Yeah. Yeah. Those were all on the spot. Now, Jake, you can use the promo code Husky19 to get 20% off all products through the end of the year. We've bought stuff off there. <laughs> it's all good. You, you ready to you rock? You keep selling me on it and telling me about it. I've already made purchases on there. So, listeners, get on there. I'm telling you, Jake it's can't fantastic. Keep spending I, his own it's money. It's literally fantastic. I want to own, I want to buy two of everything off of that website. Now, Jake, we've talked about it a little bit in my open. We've had, we got Yogi Roth at the end of the show, which is a fantastic interview. He goes over everything. You know, you know what my favorite part about that interview was? The fact that he knew that we had Mikey Am on last week and, and, <laughs> and talk, <laughs> talked about it and was like, I want to be better than Mikey Am. And I was like, ooh, I like this guy. I don't know if you heard it because it was a little jumbled at that part, but he does say that he's Mikey Am's uh, sidekick. Um, sidekick. <laughs> Uh, it just shows that fourth and inches is a global brand and they're talking about us at the Pac-12 network. So that must be it. So maybe we're more regional than global so far. We've made it, Trev. (laughs) You know what? We do have a listener over in Europe. Uh, I am locks is a uh, special teams coordinator for uh, one of those professional teams. I think it's in Germany. So shout out to him. Yeah, man, we're global. All right, Jake. So let's get into this a little bit. Washington, yet again, headed to a bye after beating the Beavs. We went over that already. 
Uh, but Jake, you had a question for me about some different personnel. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited. You know, we saw a couple of new faces there on the defense. Ulafoshio had a phenomenal game, one Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. Do you think that propels him to an instant starting spot, or do you think that they're going to stick with the Kyler Manu for a series at least to start the game because he's a senior, or do you think that means more playing time immediately for him? And not even just him. I know that he was the big standout. Jackson Sermon also had an incredibly nice game as well. I want to hear what your prediction for our linebacking core is for the rest of the season starting this upcoming week. You know, Washington has two games left on the year and eight and four is absolutely, in my opinion, eight and four should be achieved because you have the buffs who have been struggling. You have, and their defense is dead last in almost every category. And then you have Washington state who is on a down year. So that being said, your goal of getting to the Pac-12 championship is gone. Your goal of winning the North. So your goal now is to get to the best bowl game you possibly can. You're bowl eligible, so you're going to a bowl game. So there's still plenty to play for. Do I think that Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington won't see the field at all? Of course not, because Peterson rotates guys in on a regular basis. That being said, my hunch is you'll see Ulufushio maybe take the lion's share of those snaps away from Kyler Manu, but you're still going to see Brandon Wellington in that game where, and, and Jackson Sermon, I think is still going to be more of a rotational. Do you think that they take away snaps from Wellington or do you think that they just rotate Ulufushio and Jackson Sermon strictly in Kyler Manu's spot and we just start to see the crumble of his playing time just dissipate. Maybe not completely, you know, but come to a very minimalistic amount. I can see kind of a round robin thing where Kyler Manu is going to I think he's still going to be on the field. He's a senior, he's put in the work, he's made some plays. He was he didn't put up the numbers against Oregon State, but he didn't make mistakes against Oregon State. Um, you know, there wasn't a ton of mistakes made by that defense other than some over-pursuing on a screen pass. That's the only real blaring mistake I saw. And I don't even know if Manu was in on that. So to answer your question, um, if I were the coaches, I would be kind of focusing a little bit more on the future and, and just switching those two. I would love to see Jackson Sermon and um, Ulufushio on the field at the same time, gaining those reps against pretty good offenses and then being able to still get those other two guys. Yeah. And I don't even know if I agree with aiming it towards the future, because I think that right now, in my opinion, Sermon and Ulufushio give you a better chance to win right now. This doesn't have to do with how I feel about Kyler Manu personally, but I, I feel like he has lost minutes fairly to Ulufushio and Jackson Sermon just because I feel like those guys haven't been given the chance that Kyler Manu has, but when given the chance, they have succeeded at a high, a way higher rate than he has. So you, you have yeah, to and... give them the opportunity because they've succeeded more than he has. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I, I think Ulufushio absolutely deserves more playing time. Now, Jake, I have a question for you. I've been looking at different bowl projections, and most of the bowl projections have Washington either in the Holiday Bowl or the Alamo Bowl. Now, the two teams that are kind of 
interchangeable in those spots are USC and Washington. Jake, give me the reason why if Washington and SC have the same record at the end of the year, give me Washington's case on why they should go to the holiday bowl and SC to the, you're not going to get that. Uh, As we all know, bowls are determined by money and how much TV money they can get and the bigger draw and USC is the bigger draw. Unfortunately, USC is, has always been and will always be the bigger draw just because of where they're located, the history that USC has. So if it comes down to it, the Holiday Bowl will absolutely pick USC against us. Am I hoping that happens? No, because I want to go to San Diego with you in a horrible way because I think that would be so much fun. Huh? I know, right? <clears throat> with that being said, I think the difference between the two bowls isn't huge. What is your take on that? Do you do you care about which bowl it is? I do. I want it to be the Holiday Bowl, and I'm going to take the opposite side of you. I think Washington, if the if the it depends on what the the bowl committee wants. If the bowl committee wants the colors of uh, USC there, they're going to get them. But if they look at it from Washington travels well, purple and gold is becoming a national brand. They've been the Pac-12 champions two out of the last three years, USC being the other Pac-12 champion, and Washington coming off of three straight New Year's Six Bowls with Chris Peterson as the head coach. That's the team that I would want. However, from a, a TV standpoint, having a team, an abs- a really, really talented team in disarray with a coach who's probably going to be fired, if not already fired, that can make for some good storylines for uh, and and pretty good TV. However, if I'm the guy choosing and I'm taking my Washington glasses off, give me Jacob Eason, give me Chris Peterson, and give me Jimmy Lake. I take that over Keaton Slovis, an interim head coach, uh, and <laughs> yeah, interim head coach or or Clay. Yeah. Uh, the only one, the only thing with that USC team that I want to see is those two interior linemen and those uh, wide receivers. Yeah, I I agree. But as we all know, USC is a national brand. TV, TV but it's, revenue. It's an embarrassment of an. Uh, it's it's an embarrassment of a. But brand you right know now. that TV revenue sells everything to those bowl games. And what's the bigger TV draw? It's going to be USC. It it's always going to be USC. And you can say that you're taking your UW glasses off, but if you deny the fact that it's TV revenue is what drives those bowl games, you have blinders on. Okay. But here's the thing. If I'm the PAC 12, I'm begging them to take Washington because USC is a laughing stock. They're not a laughing stock. They're not. Yes, they are. They were in the lead of the PAC 12 South until a week ago. You can't even say that with a lame duck coach. That's going to be fired. He's a lame duck coach. And he's going to get fired because everybody wants the big name coach at USC and everybody wants urban Meyer. That's why he's going to get fired until last, until last week, his seat wasn't even hot because he was winning the PAC 12 South. People were absolutely in love with him. And then do you notice, do you notice what happened as soon as he lost the game, they get him on national television before the game and they ask him about his hot seat and they ask him about him getting fired. And he kind of laughs it off and is like, I mean, living the day, right? But prior to that, how many times this year have you seen him get questioned about his job security? Not once. Urban Meyer has been all over the news 
since the BYU loss that he's going to be the guy. It's the the brand has taken so many shots when it comes still to USC. Pat Hayden to Lynn Swan, but the national still, the national narrative of USC is, down. is that they but, are in. But bad they're still shape. USC. I, when when Alabama wasn't, I don't want to be embarrassed. When Alabama wasn't bowl eligible, it was still Alabama. Nick Saban still took that job because it was Alabama. USC is as equal as Alabama. As far as TV revenue goes, no matter what, if you put them both at a six and five, they're going to create the same amount of TV revenue. And if you put them both at undefeated, it's going to be the same thing. Those two teams, Alabama as those, opposed to, so who's Washington in this scenario? Washington is Washington. No, no, no. In your, if you're comparing Alabama to USC, who's Washington in that scenario? LSU, uh, Georgia, LSU, anybody that's not named Alabama. I, I I disagree. You're wrong. Well, let's let our listener decide. <laughs> All right, Jake, that was pretty hot and heavy. Uh, who knows where Washington is going to go? Either I'm right or you're right or neither of well, us we- are right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, next up for you, we got Yogi Roth. Enjoy. All right, Husky fans, we have Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. But, Yogi, you know, just saying you're from one place doesn't really do you justice. So I think the best person to introduce yourself is yourself here. Uh, tell us who you are, what you've done, where you're at now, and actually where you're going. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm Mike Yam, sidekick. Try to do whatever he does. That's why I'm blessed to come <laughs> on the show after Mike. Uh, but ultimately, I'm a guy who's trying to seek and uncover humanity in sports, specifically college football. I'll follow the Pac-12 networks. I love the game. love telling stories. love calling it. Um, I'm in love with everything about it. So uh, I think that's what I am as a, as a professional, and hopefully I'm a good husband and a father as a, as a human being at home. What is your take on uh, where you looked at uh, really closely, especially in the Pac-12, and what is your take on where Jacob Eason is in his uh, progression right now? Well, let me first say that I love whichever one of your little ones are in the background. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Yogi. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, uh, no. Bro, it's awesome. Wait, wait until you yeah. have your second one. You can't ditch both of them. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously, you need like a third person to just play for zone defense because you can't go man to man anymore. <laughs> I'm with you, bro. I'm gonna, I might be calling you. Uh, but I think the development of him has been a really fun study. Like I can't wait to go into this offseason, do it every offseason. I'll watch every single throw in a row, and then I'll break it down, third down to red zone, just for fun. I just kind of sit at home, and you guys are in L.A., come down and watch it. It's, it's a blast. You really get a good read on uh, just how a quarterback plays. That's all it is again. But I think for him, the one thing that I don't think it's talked about enough is the competition he was in when he got to training camp. I mean, this is a competition, and I called their first uh, through their first three games. And Jake Painter, he got to play. Right? And what does that tell you? That means they split reps pretty much up until the day they started preparing for the game. So forever. And I, and I think that was important early on in the year because the offense was trying to kind of be something for two guys and didn't really know what either guy did well. And then when Jacob Eason came in and started playing, they had to figure out in real time what he did well. Right? Does he do, is he good in play action pass under center, turning his back to a defense? Like we've seen at times he thrived, but at times there were some critical errors there. So you don't see that all the time from them anymore. So I think that's been a work in progress. Um, and then you add in, you know, some of the tough losses that they've had, 
Uh, clearly they've had some struggles there. The receivers to me are all, they're all solid. You know, like nobody's going to scare anybody. You know, nobody, they kind of like Utah, same deal. Like you look at a couple teams in this conference where you're like, that, eh, we can just play straight up and the quarterback's got to be perfect. So, so all that being said is just, just for context for Jacob. And I, I think right now I'd, I'd give him probably a, a B. You know, in terms of how he's played this year, I bet he would probably give himself that as well. There's some stuff where he's made throws. Like, I can remember that throw in the BYU game for a touchdown. You're like, whoa. And today, that's still my, that's a top five throw this season out of all the quarterbacks in the Pac-12. It's big time. And we've seen some where, you know, his teammates didn't help him, right? There's one, I think it's the Cal game. He throws to Hunter Bryant. He doesn't cross face. It's a pick. You know, um, I think that was the game. I could be mistaken. But I remember it happened early on in the year. So I, I just think that, He's had some unfortunate drops. They've been in some unfortunate situations down in distances-wise. Um, and they've looked like world beaters at, you know, the first half of a couple games this year that they've lost, notably, you know, the Oregon game being one of those. And I'd argue even the Utah game being one of those. You're saying, oh, okay, here comes UW. And you know, overall, I'm not trying to ramble here about him. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying I think overall for him, he's got a dramatically high ceiling as high as anybody in this conference. I think it shows that he hasn't played in a long time, and it shows that everybody, he, Bush Hamden, Chris Peterson, are kind of figuring out what this offense is and what they wanted it to be as the season has gone on. That's why I give him a B, and I hope to God he comes back. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a while, or I haven't talked to his you know, people or his family or anything like that. I don't know that answer, but I hope he comes back because that team's going to be loaded next year, um, and they'll have as good a chance to contend for the Pac-12 against. Kind of speaking on that, what do you think he will do? Do you think he'll stay or do you think he'll leave? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I know you hope that he comes back, and I mean, so do the rest of Washington Nation. Um, my opinion is that he's probably going to go just because, you know, the money's looking at him in the face, and and a lot of guys end up going just because of the potential of getting hurt. Um, what is what is your opinion on that? Do you? In your professional opinion, do you think he's going to stay or do you think he's going to go? You know, my rule is always on this of, like, A, assess the personal situation, right? And, and I don't know his um, in terms of if he needs to go, if he needs the money to go. And my second one is you only get drafted once, once, you know. And for quarterbacks, the way that the collective bargaining agreement is set up and the way the draft is, pretty much know exactly how much you're going to make where you're slotted. When you look at the quarterback class this year and next year, to me it's a dramatic lean towards this year in terms of the amount of talent. You know, I was talking to a couple of quarterback coaches that are training guys for the draft the last few days, just, hey, where are these slotted? I mean, people are already figuring out who they're training, when they're training, et cetera, et cetera, as the season's winding down here in November. And, you know, it's loaded, right? you got to assume two is leaving. you got Jake Fromm, who could potentially leave. Obviously, um, you know, Justin Herbert's going to leave. I mean, there's some talented players when you look around the country, and I think Jacob's arm will, you know, make people say, wow. But the more and more NFL guys that I talk to say that they want quarterbacks to come in who have a really good understanding of what the league is, which it's still not fully about uh, RPOs, or it's, it's still not, you know, playing catch. Like, you got to play the position. And I think for him, I think he just benefits for another year, in my in my opinion, because he's got first-round talent. And I don't know if he's a first-round quarterback right now. You know, Joe Burrow is going to be, you know, he's as highly regarded as anybody. And you kind of look at some of the top passers in the country, and 
when you look at the NFL, how many teams are going to draft a quarterback? You know, and I talked to an office coordinator in the NFL a little while ago, and he said he would rather take a free agent who's been in the NFL for five, ten years than draft a rookie and have to teach him because it's going to take the rookie three or four years to learn what it's like to play in the NFL. Jared Goff's the perfect example, right? And this is the guy who played in Jared Goff's offense in high school, then didn't really do anything for a couple of years other than the freshman year at Georgia, and now he's played this season. So you can imagine the learning curve. You know, I can remember Jared told me that when he walked into the league, football-wise, he thought he knew he, he, on a zero to ten scale. He's like, I thought I was a four because I got there and I realized I was a one. Like there's just so much to learn. So if you're not a top, if you're not a first-round draft pick, in my opinion, I don't think you go at that position because the money's so big time. So that's why, at least today, I wouldn't have him as a first-round draft pick right now. Um, so I, I would probably advise him to stay. You know, that's interesting you say that because some of the things that I've heard is, you know, when these quarterbacks, especially like Jared Goff, who came from that Sunny Dyke spread offense, do you think that there's been a change in trend because of the seven-on-seven stuff and some of the different offensive schemes in college football that uh, these ki- these quarterbacks are coming in less ready because of that, or do you think it's something else? Yeah, I think the quarterbacks are coming into college more ready than they've ever uh, been. There's a stat that uh, I read this morning. It was actually really cool. Uh, it was a fun article to read. So between 2010 and 2014, there are only five freshmen in the whole country in Power 5 football to lead their team in pass attempts. In 2015, it was eight. In 2016 and 17, it was five per year. And last year, there were nine. Right? So, I mean, you just look at that number of the 60 or 62 teams or whatever it is in Power 5 football. You know, last year, nine teams had a freshman lead him in pass attempts. And this year, it's been seven. And the numbers are pretty impressive. I think it's 94 touchdowns to 33 picks. So I think guys are more ready to get to college. Most colleges, I, I believe, and this isn't a knock on college football, but there's a lot of colleges playing catch. And by that, I mean it's throw it to green grass, don't read a defense. Uh, you, you don't have to anticipate like you do when you're reading coverages, et cetera. And that's cool. I mean, if you think about it, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, and Pat Mahomes combined in college football and passing down, fellas, they were under center 12 times. 12 times! Wow. Right? So, like, the game has changed and evolved, and Baker showed us last year that you can come from the air raid play early. Jared, clearly, it took him to his second year, third year, really, to start having some dramatic success. Mahomes is a freak. Uh, but overall, I, I just think that repetition is a big key. You know, when you look at guys like Baker, Jared, or Pat Mahomes, they had reps. I mean, they played a ton of football. Jacob has it, right? I mean, he, I get that he played as a freshman, but they didn't ask him to do a ton. But it's been two years since he did that, right? And now here we are four years later. He's just he's getting his first season under his belt. I, I just think he needs more repetition. To me, it's not – and he's not having the season that, like, Mark Sanchez had. Mark only started one season, if you remember that, when I was coaching down right, at SC. Yeah. And he was a top-ten draft pick. I, I just – I don't know this. I haven't transitioned to the NFL draft yet. I will. I'm going to do it for Series XM this year, and I'll get my evals in there. But right now, I don't feel that. I could be way off, uh, but you wouldn't want to – you wouldn't want him to fall and be a fourth-round draft pick or a sixth-round draft pick. Because I do think you could start in the NFL. Uh, I just think that why why leave? You're the face of a program with top five most respected coach in the country, Chris Peterson. 
he's got weapons. He got a freak receiver coming back, Puka Nakua next year. Hopefully Hunter Bryant returns and those there. Like, I don't know. You're in a stable position. It's not like you're in a program that's in ruins or you're in trouble or you want to get out and it's a different deal. So I don't know. I hope he stays. I'm going to talk to him. I can't wait to talk to him about it if we do. Awesome. So I want to change gears a little bit with you, Yogi. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. I became a, a head baseball coach of a high school a few years ago. And when I was really thinking about creating a living document that was my my core philosophies and then the ever-changing nuances of the game, one of the books that I picked up was Win Forever that you wrote with Pete Carroll. Um I thought that book, I think for any coach or leader, is, is a fantastic book to pick up because of the the positive um, the positive message and the positive way uh, that that a leader could could lead a, a program like Pete Carroll does. I also like a lot of the things that you guys talk about with the way that he sets up his week. So the in his case the NFL players, but in my case my kids knew exactly what to expect, expect from day to day. Um, my question is to you, what led you to decide to read that book? Was it just being around him for those years at USC? What piqued your interest in putting your uh, – trying your hand in in writing and creating such a great book? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that you read it, and uh, I hope it impacts you. It's pretty fun. Like, I was just watching Monday Night Football, and uh, like, like probably everybody, especially, you know, right. around you guys. And there was a clip of Pete in the locker room where he's like, can you win the game in the fourth quarter? And then everybody goes, hell no, you know? And he always had this phrase where he would scream in the locker room, and he did it his first year at SC, where he'd say, can you win the game in the first quarter? Everybody would say no. He'd say, can you win the game in the second quarter? Or he'd say no. Can you win the game in the third quarter? They'd say no. And he'd say, can you win the game in the fourth quarter? And everybody would go, hell yeah. And that was That's that same awesome. speech, right? And here we are almost 20 years later now. Right? I think it's his ninth year or tenth year of the Seahawks. I remember the day that he took the job. Um, I, I can remember, like, yesterday, we were at the – national championship game on the sideline together it was uh texas alabama when uh, colt mccoy got hurt on the first play of the game i remember looking oh, yeah. at him and i was like you're really going to go to the nfl like this is awesome and he looks around he goes it is awesome he goes but this is every weekend in the nfl and i didn't know i, mean, I never played in the nfl I, I spent two days there with lane and the raiders so i didn't i was never in a game uh but anyway to answer your question i never wanted to write the book never planned on writing the book i was working on my own book uh, which came out after that called From PA to LA about my coaching time right. at USC as a young coach. And what had happened was we hired a writer, really talented, gifted, brilliant writer. And when he finished the book and he turned it in and I was kind of guiding him along the way and helping and helping manage it. I was kind of Pete's guy in terms of whatever he, you know, whatever he wanted to get done or we would collaborate on different ideas and that laundry list of stuff that we could roll into. But bottom line is I was kind of like the go between. And, Pete. and he handed me the final draft, as well as a guy named Mark Jackson, who's now the athletic director of Villanova. And he said, hey, take it a read, take a read. And we did. And we both came back with the same note was beautiful book, beautiful prose doesn't sound like your voice. And for me, as a avid reader, I guess I would say, or lover of books, especially motivation, you, I think they're the most beneficial when it sounds like the person motivating you is talking to you. Right? Like right. if it's written in somebody else's tongue, it doesn't feel like you're hearing from that individual and it sounds more like a fable or a fiction book. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, okay. He goes, do you think you could take a shot at it? 
I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go for it. And I remember it was over Thanksgiving break. We had uh, we had our last game, and then we had a break for the bowl game. And uh, and I knocked it out over, like, two and a half days. I, like, just didn't sleep. And I remember sitting in my studio apartment in Hermosa Beach, and I just went to work on my laptop and uh, turned it in because you had to turn it into a publishing company. Like, it was a huge publishing company. It was a big deal. Coming out of New York City, I mean, this, is, this isn't, like, me and my brother writing a book. This is like the head coach at University of Southern California. And uh, we turned it in, and they were like, what is going on here? Like, how come this isn't the book from the original author? And we told them, and they were great about it. And they said, okay, um, we need you to now, like, just clean it up, add some stuff, subtract some stuff. So then we just went into editing mode. And at the end of it, um, I remember they asked me, hey, do you want your name on the cover? And I never really cared. And then I called a mentor of mine. He goes, yeah, did you write it? And I said, yeah. He goes, you should put your name on it. It'll benefit you in ways you don't know, in ways you won't ever be able to predict. And this guy was Pete's age, his really good friend. And I was like, oh, okay. And not knowing anything. And uh, and I did. And the book went out. And two weeks later, or whenever it was, I guess a couple months later by the time copies came out, remember we got a phone call saying it was the New York Times best-selling book. And Pete and I just shrugged it off because we always anticipated it being that. We we didn't think anything other. And then uh, Bruce Selman called me and goes, dude, no, you need to recognize this is a big deal. Like, congratulations. And uh, that was the moment I think it hit me that, that we wrote a book. And uh, and I got to say, Pete was he was awesome. I didn't ghostwrite it. He was involved. Life was – everybody's involved. You know, it was a total collective effort. And I'm pumped to hear that people still read it. Yeah, I mean, I read it, gosh, it was probably 2014, so it had been out for four years. Um, I, I just got to say that you could really tell the chemistry that you and Carol have together. Uh, they, I just seem like a ton of trust uh, between you two in some of the, the things that he shared in that book. I, I was blown away. That's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, man, if I could read, I'd totally be there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We got. Well, hey, there's an What's audio up? version of it, so we got you. <laughs> is it voiced by Yogi Roth? No, it's voiced by Pete, and oh. as a competitor that he is, he did it in, I think it was uh, two sittings, and he wanted to do it in one. Oh, no. They were like, it's going to take three days. And he's like, screw that. Like, I'm going to compete, and I'm going to see how many of you can hang. And he took one bathroom break because he's like, I got to give the crew one break because they're all just wow. like, we need to stretch our legs. Like classic mm. Pete Carroll, right? Like competing at everything. Yeah. That's amazing. But was he chomping on some gum while he was reading it? You know, I wasn't there for that. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't going to sit through listening to him read the book, man. I, uh, I had heard it enough. <laughs> Let's flip from one Pete to the other. And... uh what are your philosophical nuances you have seen with Coach Peterson? Oh, I love him. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dramatic, huge fan of his his approach. He's allowed me to be involved in the program a little bit. I've talked to the team. and You know, he's, he's just cool, man. I, he reminds me of Coach Carroll a lot. Uh, I think he's one of the top coaches in the country. I think every AD in the country, if you took a straw poll, would say they'd want him. Uh, the way that he develops guys off the field is as good as there is, as good as I've ever been around. I see a lot of programs mimicking what they do with their built for life program. And as a competitor, man, he's awesome. You guys come out of his program, kind of like you hear about Saban and Belichick always taking guys. I say the same thing. You look at Ben Burkerman with the Seahawks or, you know, some other guys that have left that program. They're all ballers, you know, like you can kind of go down the list and, and it's not easy. It's not a walk in the park, 
it's not dance parties and, and ice cream as I like to say, but it's it's joy through the craft. And and I love that about him. And I, I'll defend him and celebrate him all the time. I love calling his games. I think for recruits, I mean, this recruiting game that just gets grosser and grosser by the year. The guys that go there, uh, they're about they're about developing, you know, as humans and not just getting to the league. Um, and I think what we know now is that everybody who thinks they're just going to the league or I'm going to go win the Heisman three times or well, we hear all the stuff on signing day when kids make their announcement, none of it's true. And if you're grounded and you're about work and you're about the right stuff, you thrive. And that's what he's about. So I'm a huge fan of how he develops his staff, how he develops himself. Uh, and it's awesome. Our off-seasons are always full of book recommendations or whatever it is. And Yeah, I, mean, I, I couldn't speak higher up to somebody. What What is your take on the coaching landscape of the Pac-12? Do, do you think – I guess the first part of that is where do you think Coach Pete lands in that as far as top coaching? Well, that's a good question. I, I think the conference has top to bottom the best coaching staff in the country. Um, and I think when it, it, it's, it's not easy to compare because some, team, some conferences have 14 teams. But look at this year right now. Every team in this conference, the night that we're recording this, is eligible to still get to the postseason, right? We, we couldn't say that in years past. So you look at Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, a team that's usually in the lower part of the Pac-12. They're, they're playing well. You know, they're not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but to say they're a doormat is just wrong, right? Look at Justin Wilcox. He's offered jobs other places all the time. And I think that, to me, is the measure of it, right? NFL team, college team, calling for David Shaw, calling for Chris Peterson, calling for Mike Leach. Mel Tucker, I think he's a great addition. Herm Edwards, to me, is a rock star. I think he's clearly set a new model, not only there, but I think for search firms, excuse me, people that are looking for coaches, Kevin Sumlin, he could have sat out and gone anywhere. He would have been the hottest coach in the country a year ago in the offseason. Chose to go to Arizona. Uh, you kind of go up and down the list. Kyle Whittingham, to me, you could argue, you know, he's one of the steadiest coaches in the country, and you know who you're going to get with him. And I think he'd win everywhere he would go. And I kind of can make an argument for a majority of coaches. Look at Chip Kelly. They're the best get in this conference since Chris Peterson in terms of free agent coaches, if you will. So I love it, man. I think where does he sit? I think his record kind of speaks for itself. And what he's done since he's been at Washington with, you know, every year. But this year, of course, New Year's Six Bowl appearance. Uh, obviously, packed all titles. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a one-percenter. He's up at the top. But that's what I love about this conference. And look at it. Justin came off of his tree. Are we surprised by the success of Coach Wilcox after, you know, being mentored a little bit by Chris? So, yeah, man, I think I think UW is really fortunate to have him. And, and it's awesome because he loves being there, at least as far as I know. And one more before you go, Yogi. Yeah, we want to make sure we respect your time as much as possible. Um, you've done a ton of stuff in your career so far, whether it's uh, broadcasting, podcasting, filmmaking, speaking, being an author and traveling. Which one of those endeavors has brought you out of your comfort zone the most? Ooh, I've never been asked that. Um, I don't know. I mean... I mean, I can remember the day I walked on a pit, and I was pretty uncomfortable, and they were like, hey, your locker is number 106. And I was like, there's no Jersey 106. How can my locker be 106? <laughs> and I saw a D. Lyman face mask and cleats that were two sizes too big and D. Lyman uh, hip pads, and I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. So that was uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. I, 
I, I've always kind of enjoyed different challenges. I, I don't know how many times I've been, like, really uncomfortable. I think as a traveler, I, I've gone by myself forever. I was probably most uncomfortable when uh, my now wife and I took our first trip. I was like, oh, how's this going to work? Like, what's it like traveling with somebody else? That was pretty uncomfortable. Uh, but clearly the right decision is I'm at the love of my life. But I I think life's, life's fun when you're uncomfortable. I try to get uncomfortable every day, you know, whether it's saying hi to somebody new at an airport or reading a different book. You know, now in the political climate we're in, I love going to college campuses and going to Berkeley. And last week I was talking to their center who – we had a great conversation with him coming from Orange County, which is pretty Republican, and Berkeley, clearly not. You know, so I think that's, that's the point. You know, let, let's have hard conversations. You know, disagreement doesn't mean dislike is one of my, like, favorite phrases. So whether it's the CFP and me disagreeing with Kirk Herbstreit or you know, Nick Saban or whoever the hell it is, like, I think it's fun. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think I would be miserable if every day was the same. I think that's why I have this job. Like, if you said go to your office, check in at 8.59 and check out at 5, you would see a really depressed version of me and, you know, I'd be, I'd be needing to talk to somebody. I, I, I couldn't handle it. Like, I need I need to get uncomfortable, man. I think that's, you know, we say at Elite 11 and the high school quarterbacks, we coach at the edge of uncomfortable is where growth happens and greatness is possible. So I haven't achieved greatness by any stretch, but I know that I'm growing. Well, that's a, that's a really good way to put it, too, Yogi. Um, and that's a Personally, I think that's a great philosophy on how to live a life as well. You know, um, if you don't get uncomfortable, it kind of creates complacency, and that's and that's a really good point of view on that. Yogi, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, if you'd like to let our listeners wo- where they can find you, uh, go ahead and do that now. Where do you exist on social media, on TV, all of that? This is your opportunity. For the boarding class. Yeah, sure, man. Um, uh, this is great. I'm, like, literally taking you guys right to the security line. This is perfect. Uh, <laughs> perfect. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Seriously, A to Z. Uh, no, you can hit me up just on all social platforms at Yogi Roth. I'm a huge fan of the set of conversations. Uh, all my podcasts, you can check them out wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just go to yogiroth.com. we got two of them that are pretty fun. <clears throat> One is uh, Ted and Yogi's Tactical Adventure, where every Monday, Ted, myself, and our producer of our games, Michael Molinari, dive into tactical football. Try to do it 30 minutes or less, a quick listen, but try to bring some insight from being on the road at the majority of campuses. And then I have my own every other week called the Yogi Ross Show, where I try to just seek and uncover different things about the world of sports, specifically college football. So I just had Matthew Hasselbeck on that just came up today. Last week I had Ricky Williams on. Uh, the week before was Antonio Gates. So guys that have gone through college and had to make different decisions. And Matt was awesome because he's known as an NFL guy now he's calling college games. So going to dive into that. Right. So, all right. Sure. Hey, man, thanks a lot, Yogi. What's your take on Yogi as a whole? Super, super, super cool guy. Uh, was super willing to come on our show and help out and do an interview with us. And super personable guy, man. Has a great outlook on life. And I really enjoyed our time with him. I He is now rivaling, like he's your rival for my best friendship. I got to tell you, I love his outlook on just like sport in general, where like he just wants to get into the narrative and the relationship that is sport. And I think he has a really positive attitude on life. And, you know, he's just going to be a successful person because of the different things that he's done over his lifetime. And that question at the end of what's the what was what put you in the most 
uncomfortable situation because life is lived in those uncomfortable situations. And he's a perfect example of somebody that is, that has really thrived in those situations. So uh, I think the last thing we got to say, if uh, I think we might have a Jersey bet brewing on uh, where Washington ends up playing their bowl games. What do you think? I mean, we need to know the records first, right? Nope. Okay. So I'll, Ooh, does that mean I'm taking the Alamo bowl? You got the Alamo bowl. I got the holiday bowl. I saw you from last year, so double or nothing. Yeah, I could get double jerseys. Double or nothing? I'll... Deal. Okay. Go dogs. Go dogs.